This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. You know, in life, you go through good times, you go through bad times, and business-wise, personal-wise, we've had that all. And, you know, we've had a really good stretch for a long period, and to not want to give back or to not give back didn't seem right to me. And we wanted to find some group that we could give back to doing what we love to do. So it's not just about writing a check, it's not just about donating. Like We wanted to nourish and, and give back through our food. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Busson, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. On today's show, we'll discuss social entrepreneurship and how even small businesses can make a difference. We'll learn how to train your thought patterns. We'll find out about yoga for all ages. And lastly, we'll hear about the importance of daily practices to promote happiness and fulfillment. But first, a little bit of business. Did you know that you and your company can make an impact in the community by simply ordering lunch? Big or small, it's now possible for companies that require catering services all across the GTA to give back effortlessly, thanks to a unique partnership bringing together a local caterer, Chef's Catering, and Red Door Family Shelter. For every meal ordered from the Red Door special menu, one meal is given back to the women and children seeking refuge at Red Door. Visit chefscatering.ca to discover the menu and support your community. My first guest, Justin Sickless, is president of Chef's Catering, a family-owned catering company operating in the GTA. Last December, Justin launched a Buy One, Give One program that gives back to the local charity Red Door Family Shelter. By simply ordering through the special Red Door menu, companies effortlessly donate meals to the women and children seeking refuge at the shelter. Welcome to the show, sir. Thanks so much, Jamie. Good to be here. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You know, I'm an entrepreneur as well. Mm -hmm. And my business, I think, is probably significantly smaller than yours. And you want to do good things. But, you know, there's so many challenges as an entrepreneur and as a small business person that, you know, sort of planning a, a major initiative or participating in something like that can be a challenge which larger companies or public companies don't necessarily have to deal with. So I find this whole topic yeah. really interesting. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your business and, and you know, the grounding and, and where you're at today? So our business was uh, was founded in 1974. It was founded in 1974 by my father and, and my mother. Actually, a funny story leading up to it. My father's a Greek immigrant, so he came over from Greece. Uh, his parents had saved up, you know, you know all their money, so they right. could send him as an, on a first-class ticket, you know, on, on the boat across. Yeah. So my dad uh, was on the boat, and he, he gets into the dining room, and, you know, he's sitting in this opulent space, and he, the big place settings and all the beautiful food. And his friends were on the boat with him, too, but they weren't sitting in first class or in, in the first-class cabins. So, you know, he sits down at the dining room, and, you know, he sees all the plates and the forks and the knives, and there's five on one side, five on the other. He doesn't know what to do. He's from a small village in northern Greece. Right. You know, there's like 50 people in the village. They're and sharing one fork? or <laughs> Yeah, for the whole village. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and so he, um, you know, he's sitting there and he's looking at all these forks and he's, he's uncomfortable. He doesn't know what to do. So he starts to take the food over the course of the time that he's there. You know, he takes a little bit and puts it on his napkin and he brings it down to all of his buddies in, in you know, the lower class of the, of the ship 
whatever that's called. And that's how we always joke we started our catering business because you know, he, was, <laughs> he brought food down to the food He was tank. feeding the people down. Exactly. So anyway, he started the business when he came over in 1974. He worked in different restaurants throughout the city. You know, it's a typical new immigrant story. And, right. uh, you know, he's just a hardworking guy, kind of founded the business. And we kind of built that on, on his, uh, his solid foundation for us. So started in social stuff, catering to the community, doing various social things right. and whatnot. Weddings and, and events. All and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, he had an opportunity to, to work in a cafeteria, kind of a corporate cafeteria sort of thing. And uh, the owner of that cafeteria sold his business. Uh, my father had been working for, working for him for a number of years. And uh, the guy really liked my dad. He thought he was a uh, hard worker, you know, honest, uh, great chef, very talented. And uh, he said, look, I'm selling the business, but I've left this particular location out. This is yours. Build what you build from here. And my dad took that and he built that into, at one point in the 80s and 90s, we had about 60 locations throughout the GTA. Oh, wow. And then, you know, of course, the entrance into the the cafeteria world in Toronto and in Canada of a lot of the big companies made it very hard for us to be able to compete. Right. So that kind of went away. And when I took over the business about 20 years ago, my focus was more on corporate catering. So realizing that, you know, it's very hard to get some of these big contracts where you have a restaurant in a you know large company. Right. But, you know, to cater to those companies is a lot easier to get uh, sure. as far as it's a well, I used to work at a law firm downtown and, and the catering would, you know, would be a regular basis, you know, bringing in lunch for board meetings or for meetings with clients. Lawyers eat very, very well. Yes, they do. (laughs) Yes, they do. And the client pays. Yeah. Well, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So yeah, we, we, we started doing that and, uh, you know, the, the focus on that was just really, you know, good quality. I mean, back in those times too, I mean, it was Druxy's, it was, you know, pizza, it was a couple Asian places and it was us. And, you know, there's a handful of others that were doing catering. I mean, now it's a different market completely. How many people do you have working for you now? Between, you know, employees and contractors and partners, we've got about 50, 55 people working for us. Good. So let's talk a bit about the initiative uh, that you started. What motivated you to launch a give back initiative? You know, it was something that I wanted to do for a while. I mean, I, I think then I'll talk a little bit more about the you know relationship with Red Door after. But for me, it was just wanting to give back. And, and you know, in life, you go through good times, you go through bad times. And business-wise, personal-wise, we've had that all. And, you know, we've had a really good stretch for a long period. And to not want to give back or, or to not give back didn't seem right to me. And we wanted to find some group that we could give back to doing what we love to do. So it's not just about writing a check. It's not just about donating. Like We donate right. to other things as well. But we wanted to nourish and, and give back through our food. And, and that's what we we're doing with the folks at Red Door. What is Red Door for people who don't know? So Red Door is a shelter uh, that is essentially helping people escaping domestic abuse. You know, from what I was reading, actually, before I came in here today, I had a little thing to read. And uh, a thousand women and their children or people and and women, young women and their children are seeking emergency shelter every night in the city. Just in Toronto. Just in Toronto. And that number was staggering to me when I read it. That's huge. So Red Door endeavors to to try to help a portion of those people out through through their program. And they do a phenomenal job. They provide people with a very, very safe place. And I was talking to somebody else about this a little while ago. And when when you can take somebody out of a situation where, you know, if you're living in a home where you're worrying about, you know, domestic abuse or what happens when somebody comes home from the bar, uh, you know, what happens, when is the next, you know, smack coming? There's so much mental energy that's going to go into that person's head thinking about that. They can't really focus on any other aspect of their life. 
So when you take them and you put them in this safe environment and you, you, you feed them well and you give them that time to kind of, you know, take that mental energy away from that topic right. and focus on other things, it's amazing what you what you can see that those those people actually can do. So, Well, it's a, it's a noble cause because it's so difficult for people. You know, it's an expensive city to live in. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to leave and exist in a safe space, you know, maybe get your feet under you. Yeah. And then move forward. I mean, that's it. for a lot of people. I think the decision is, well, I can't leave because where would I go? You exactly. know, uh, it's wonderful. Was there a personal connection for you with the charity? How did you come to learn about this charity or, or, or select it as, as to, the donee? To be honest with you, it wasn't a personal thing. I've, I've been lucky. I've not had to face anything like that. Yeah. But I, I really wanted to work with somebody or a group where I could. They were they were large enough to make a difference, but they were small enough that I could see the difference being made. Right, and that's what I'm seeing with them. Like you know, they're they're building a new facility at uh, you know kind of Queen and Broadview area. Right, um, it's going to be phenomenal. There's some exciting opportunities with that as well for us to to work with them and help with other areas of of, of what they're doing, and that's hopefully coming up in the next little while. But I, I really wanted to just really be there to see them enjoy what we we were able to provide, and I think that when we bring meals in and we you know we did. Some some Christmas things. We do some of their special events and we really go all out for that. And to see the little kids in there enjoying, you know, a great meal and uh, uh, being a part of that is, is something very, very special. So it wasn't a specific reason as why I picked them. I just really, there was a synergy when we also met. Right. Um, I remember sitting down at the table with the, the executive directors and, you know, a couple of the other folks there. And I asked them a question, like when we were kind of in our discovery phase right. of what we wanted to do. And I said, so if I'm in need of, of you know, coming here and I, I have a... a you know, an issue that, you know, I need to be in a shelter now, how long can I stay here for? Right. And the answer was they kind of looked at each other and they didn't know the answer to that question. And they said, well, you know, really, there's no time limit. There's no, you know, we want you to get onto solid ground. And this goes back to what I said before, you know, giving people that time to kind of rebuild their lives in a comfortable and uh, safe place is huge. And it's just like kind of pushing that pause button for a little while. And I think what they're doing is very, very special. I would agree. Yeah. So how is the program? How, what are the mechanics of the actual program? How does it work? So you're at your law firm that you used to work at. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm long gone, my friend. I'm not you. there. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so, well, I'll, I'll, I'll play along yeah, with so you. So you are. Yeah. It's, it's a, it was yeah. a hypothetical thing. Am I, am I senior partner? Am <laughs> yes, I in charge? You're senior partner. Because that's the only way it's happening. Corner office. Okay, go ahead. And you're, you're just loving life. But yeah, so we, we you order some food from us. You pick from a preset uh, menu. Yep. And what it is, it's not... Not that we're donating exactly what you're getting. It's just treated as more of a bank. So, you know, you order 50 meals for your associates to enjoy a beautiful lunch. You pick it off of one of the Red Door menus. Yep. We will then give them 50 meals. Those 50 meals are not exactly what you had. Right. They're a bankable meal. So it's something that they can use whenever they want. They just know that they have a number of meals in the bank that they can draw from that we're going to provide. Um, so it's actually really easy. I mean, it's, it's, it's very, very simple. And it really kind of skirts around a lot of donation issues that a lot of large companies have. We work with a lot of large companies. And, you know, if you ask them, you know, hey, could you support this cause? Could you support that cause? It has to go through their protocols. Uh, huge protocols. And, I mean, obviously, they get a ton of requests. So this is a way that they're using us anyway. Um, there's a lot of business being transacted in the city for, for you know, corporate catering. And, you know, they, they have a, this kind of need for, for what we do. And I, I think that, you know, to be able to not overcomplicate it and just be able to give back without really even knowing that you're giving back is kind of a cool thing. Well, making it simple, like any initiative, if you make it simple for people, yep. it's more likely to succeed. 100%. So let's talk about the mechanics of, you know, you made your decision you wanted to give, and that's, that's noble. But it's one thing to say, hey, I'm going to give, and then 
the actual mechanics of the giving requires decision making. Yes. So, and I, I think that's really the interesting part for me is is from your perspective as a small business person, although your business isn't quite small. You know, what was the process, and and how like what advice would you have? For another company who's thinking of doing something like this, do it. Find a cause that means something to you, or find something that you feel that you could make a difference in. So maybe it's not like you asked me before. You know, do I have a personal interest or a personal story related to this yeah. cause? No, not really. But it's something that I could see our donations actually making a don- making a difference toward. And it's not hard. And you know, I, I, some people disagree with me with saying this, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with business and philanthropy in the same sentence. And you know, what we're doing is great for Red Door, which is amazing, and it's great to see the, the, the benefits. It's great for my employees because, you know, they're involved. They feel positive about what we're doing as sure. a company, and they feel proud to work for a company that wants to do this sort of thing. And it is good. It can be good for our business, which is helping us because, you know, we can we can generate interest. People are very, very happy when they, they hear about the program, and it's a win-win. It's a really, really nice feeling. Yeah, no, no. And I expect, I mean, I wouldn't have expected you to say anything differently, but like, but you mentioned before there was a due diligence period where you were sort of exploring what mm-hmm. their needs were and did you bring in consultants is there or, or, or were you sort of doing this on your own and figuring out you know the economics yeah you, you know because you're making a decision right it's coming out of your pocket as yes. well yeah for sure so you have to decide what it is you can do and whether it's a sustainable right 100 and, and it, it really is i mean you know i didn't bring in any any consultants i mean i, I i'm the type of person that you know you're a doer. I, I, I'm a doer. I think from my my heart more than my head in some cases, and you know I, I make decisions based on uh, you know sometimes uh, what my heart's telling me to do. And I just had a very good feeling about what these folks are doing. And I think that there's, as I said, other opportunities for us to expand mutually with one another and and benefit one another tremendously. And I can see that already starting to happen. And just with Red Door's network of of donors and people who are already supporting them, um, they've opened a lot of doors for us as a business as well to go back and say. You know, uh, you know. Hey, these are the guys that are doing our, our, our food program. You know, try to support them and order off those programs, the Red Door program, and it's tremendous. It's tremendous to see the the reaction of people when they realize when they get a letter because Red Door will send a letter out. I'll, you know, our people will send a right. message to them and say, Hey, Coke Canada just did a, a massive event, or Staples Canada just did a huge event. Uh, you got 350 meals without them even knowing. And when they get the the message, they're like, wow, this is just incredible. This is, uh, you know, we didn't even know we were doing this. And right. here we've done all this great work with just ordering something that we were going to do anyway. So, Yeah. So did you turn your mind to the credibility of the charity that you were selecting? Like, like in a strange way, in a lateral way, it's a co-branding experience, right? Yeah. So, so if you pick a charity, for example, some of them are social, some of them deal with illnesses, some yeah. of them deal with all sorts of different, you're still making that decision on some level. How did you satisfy yourself that this was the right charity for you in that respect? Well, again, they're small enough. Uh, I could see that, you know, when, when I, I just even from talking about how they order the, the list of, of what they needed, the reaction when they heard that I wanted to be involved, I could see that this was going to make a difference. There's so many great causes out there. There's millions of dollars going to sick kids. It's a beautiful, you know, it's yeah. obviously, you know, whatever, you don't have to really say much about that. There's a million great charities out there, but this is one that my size of company along with them could make a real, real big difference. And uh, that's what I, that was more important to me than anything else. And obviously they're very credible. I mean, I, I did my research, yeah. um, you know, they have a great track record of doing great in the community. So that was, uh, that was all part of it as well. Okay. So 
you're on the radio, you're going to inspire other entrepreneurs and other business owners to consider doing something like this. And I, I, ho- so. and I hope they do. I hope so too. What sort of advice would you give? Like you, you're doing this now. So, you know, if somebody's on the fence and thinking about whether they want to put themselves out like this, what would you tell them? And, and, and what advice would you give them? You know, I don't think it, you know, we all know everybody in this business knows that, you know, food doesn't necessarily cost very much. I mean, certain things are, you know, prices go up right. and, uh, but it doesn't cost a lot to do this and it can help your business more than hurt your business. I think with the positive uh, reaction of the community with your client base, you know, it, it, it's the, the positives definitely outweigh the negatives. Just jump into it. Find somebody that you can help. Find somebody that where you know you can make a difference in, and try to make that difference. I think that that's uh, that's critical, and I think we want to continue doing that. And if people want to jump on our program too, we're happy to have more people involved. I mean, this isn't just about us. This is a much bigger picture. And if they wanted to do that really quickly, how would they reach out and find out more about this initiative? You can call me, uh, or you can check us out online at uh, our, our website, which w- is www.chefscatering.ca. Fantastic. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for coming on. That's been great. Thank you for having us. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to discuss training your thought patterns on the tonic. Urinary tract infections are the worst and can come back again and again, making life miserable. Utiva is a 100% natural daily supplement that stops UTIs before they start. Utiva is recommended by doctors, drug-free, and made in Canada. For an exclusive 25% discount, visit us at utivahealth.com. That's U-T-I-V-A-Health.com. Or call us at 1-888-622-3613. That's 1-888-622-3613. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Welcome back. Our next guest, Kathleen Trotter, is a fitness expert, nutritionist, life coach, monthly guest on BT Montreal and Rogers Ottawa, and author of the books Finding Your Fit and the New Your Fittest Future Self. Welcome back to the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. So in June, we discussed exercises for the brain and we were discussing neuroplasticity, sort of, we were were focusing on the brain, but today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to focus on the mind. Yes. And the mind is different than the brain, right? Well, I think when we talked last, we were talking about how to retrain your neural patterns in your body physically. Right. So reactions. Exactly. Yeah. And now we're talking about the mind because this is actually possibly my favorite topic because I think... Everybody knows how to be more fit, right? You drink more water, you exercise more. Not everybody, okay. but, but hopefully... Most, okay, so most people know... Listeners to this okay, show might yes. know. Okay, for sure. But the hard part is actually connecting the dots between wanting to be healthier yes. and actually being healthier. So Derek Sivers has this quote that if knowledge was enough, we would all be billionaires with six-pack abs, right? Like most yeah. of us have the knowledge. So my thing to tell everybody is you have to concentrate on your mind, which is your conscious thoughts, your awareness. And with awareness comes change. 
So this is like the jocks version of mindfulness, right? Exactly. No, I love that because the brain is your unconscious, but the mind is your conscious. And the problem is, is that so many people have thoughts and we think that just because we think it, we have to do it, right? right? So we're like, oh, I want that cookie. And you think, well, you know, well, I, I thought it. So that has to be like a thought is an act. And it's like, no, I call it negative brain propaganda. If you become aware of those negative thoughts in your head, right. then you can say, no, I'm not doing that. And this is why, right? Or, or even more critically, if you become aware of your unconscious habits, yes. then you can change them and make them conscious and make them healthier habits. So what do we do? How do we start? Okay. So first you understand that a habit loop has three components. So you have the cue, the behavior, and the response. So can you give an example, something like yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. So three o'clock comes and you sort of always have a snack. You, you know, you've woken up that day and you said, today I'm going to be super, super healthy. But then at three o'clock you end up having a chocolate bar or yep. you end up cooking for your family and eating like a second dinner as you cook or yep. you've eaten a really healthy dinner and then you sit in front of the TV and you snack. So what we're talking about are, are routines, right? Yes. Yeah. And routines where you end up at the end of the day being like, oh my God, what did I do? Like yeah. I was going to be healthy, yep. but then I wasn't. Yep. For me, it's eating after dinner, right? Yes. Like, like I'm watching TV and a little, you know, I start feeling tired. Oh, you know, maybe it's time to have a snack because if I have a snack, I'll stay up later and mm. I want to watch that show or whatever, whatever it is. It's too yeah. early for me to go to bed, which is like a double whammy because you really do need more sleep. But anyway, you do need more sleep. And if you eat, you're not you know, going to get as good. Your sleep 100%. is going to be poor. Yep. So it's a terrible, vicious cycle. And then yep. you won't be able to sleep. And then you wake up the next morning. You need more sugar and coffee to get you going. And then you have more coffee and you can't sleep the next night. So how do we break this? So you appreciate that the opportunity for more positive self-talk, so more influence that mind, yep. is in the cue. So meaning with a behavior, um, with a habit behavior, the, they have shown in brain scans that your brain is more active when in the cue and the in the response. But during the actual behavior, you're pretty much asleep. So when right. you're sitting watching no, you're TV no, eating, sleep, it's sleepwalking, right? Yeah. Once I go to the kitchen to grab exactly. the chocolate, yes. the chocolate's in my hand. I'm exactly. just, I'm just yes. mindlessly eating it. It's the decision to yes. say... No, I'm not going to go in the kitchen and exactly. see what there is. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where the opportunity is. So first, what you would do is just kind of journal either on paper or just in your mind about some of the things that you do th throughout the day. So you might use a food journal, whatever, and, and look for opportunities for change. And then you would create sort of a, a pause in your brain. So you would say, okay. I always have the habit of I come home and I start cooking for my family and I don't even think about it, but I eat, which right. is the behavior. Yep. So then you would say, okay, so instead of starting to eat, when I start to cook, I put a piece of gum in my mouth and then that's going to change the behavior. Okay. So you recognize that that moment between the cue and the behavior is your opportunity to, to what I call embrace the pause. So you embrace the pause. Right. And then that's where you put in more positive self-talk because crazily enough, your self-talk is actually what you become accustomed to saying. So if you're used to saying, oh, well, like I deserve it or, oh, well, it doesn't matter or, oh, well, I've already cheated today, so I might as well cheat more. Or, or this is what I do, you know. Yeah, this is what I do, I might as well, then that's the self-talk that your brain goes to faster, right? So it's called Hebb's Law, which is basically neurons that fire together, wire together. So the more often you think a certain thought, the more often you do a certain behavior, the more often it's going to be easier for you to do it. So you have to stop that and you have to say, my future self is not going to be happy when I do this. Right. And you have to recognize that your brain 
um, has all these cognitive distortions that trick you because it wants you to do that habit because here's the other important thing to understand is you cognitively might understand that eating bad food is a negative for you, but when you eat the bad food, you get a hit of dopamine. Yeah. So your brain unconsciously is like, oh, I want that food because it's a reward. That dopamine is a reward. So you have to be smart enough to say, no, self, I will be healthier and happier. I will be alive longer. I'll have more energy. I'll be a better husband, wife, daughter, whatever, if I'm healthier, you know, for the rest of my life. And I don't have that food before bed. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to intellectualize the deferred gratification, right? Which comes with feeling better about yourself, fitting into your clothes better, being happier with yourself. That's a hard thing to do when it's 10 o'clock at night and the chocolate is okay. calling for you, so right? So that's a really good point. And it brings up a couple other cognitive distortions that I think once you're aware of, you can sort of use to your advantage. And one of them is what's called present bias. And basically what that is, is our inability, it's exactly what you just said. It's our brain's inability to understand how our future self is going to feel. In economics, it's called the hot-cold bias. It's like the hot-cold gap. It's like you think... It's a recency bias. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, so it can... And it can work... Either way. So it can be, for me, if I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I don't want to exercise. Then I say to myself, okay, Kathleen, this is your present bias. This is your brain thinking that just because you are tired now, you're going to be tired for the rest of your life. You're not. If you get on the treadmill, if you get on the bike, or if you do some weights, you will actually feel better. So I use that, but it goes the other way because a lot of people use it. They say, oh, well, tomorrow I'll want to be healthy. Tomorrow I won't eat the chocolate. And you have to say to yourself, no, that again is present bias. Tomorrow you will want the chocolate. So you have to set up systems to save yourself from your future hungry, sad, depressed, exhausted self. Yes. Um, And that's that understanding that you don't really understand how you're going to feel if your future self is going to feel. So you have to set up these systems. Okay. So we've identified the problem and we've said you have to set up systems to stop you from behaving in this, like fulfilling these patterns, these self-fulfilling problems. Don't bring chocolate into the house, for example, right? Okay. Or the gum when you're cooking, right? Or for me, what I do is I actually have a window, like after eight o'clock, I just don't eat because I find my brain works better in these non-negotiables, but I've trained myself. So yeah, it's the slippery slope thing. When I was losing the weight, I had to go cold turkey, yes. right? There was there was no there was no middle ground, yeah. right? Like I I know a lot of people say 80-20, yeah, right? And some like, people are okay with that. But I but I was not. Yeah, and, and if I, you and know I, that you're not, you're not. Yeah, I'm the type of person that if I have that little piece of chocolate, well, all bets are off. I'm yeah. gonna, you, you know, then I'm going to keep having keep the going. chocolate yeah. or I'm going to keep going that night. Whereas if I say, "Okay, do not go into the kitchen after dinner," then that's the way exactly. I will succeed. Yeah. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. And you have to know yourself and set up that self-talk. Because as I said, it's about retraining your brain and knowing that just because you have that thought doesn't mean you have to act on it. And so much of this comes through data, right? So yeah. if you think about the idea that you've been acting in a certain way and certain behaviors and thinking certain thoughts for whatever, 5, 10, 20, 30 years, that's a lot of your brain thinking that that's the way you should act. Right. If you're going to retrain it, it's going to take time. And it's you, have going to de-pro- take- you have to deprogram before you can program. Exactly. And it's going to take data. So I would suggest to people that they actually, you know, write down, for me, it, 
for, I did like two weeks many years ago where I noted my energy levels before I worked out and then after yep. I worked out. Yep. And now I have that data. And if I don't want to work out, I can say your future self will be happier if you do. The data shows. And I did that with eating after eight o'clock too. I actually, for a couple months, I just wrote down and I saw that I sleep better. I feel better if I don't eat after eight o'clock. And then again, if I need that data, I go and I find it. So there's this thing, there's this pattern that I fall into. Uh, every Monday I do my strength training and it's my least favorite class because it's a hard one. And mm. also because I work out Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm. So it's also day four, four yes. of four days. So your body's a, like, I'm but, tired. Right. So driving to the gym on the Monday, I'm constantly carping. Like, mm. I, I don't want to do you don't this. Do, yeah. I don't want to do this. I'm not happy. I think I should turn around and go home. And my wife, Naomi, will be in the car. She says, you say this every, every week. Just do it. Every week. Yeah. And then when you're done, yeah. you feel better. And yeah. then, of course, on the drive home yeah. after I work out, it's like, oh, I feel great. Yeah. I'm glad I did yeah. it. And yeah. she doesn't want to hear it anymore yeah. because it's the same thing over, over and, and over and over again. So one of the things I would suggest is if you know that Mondays are going to be hard, Set a voice note on your phone. Like, actually say to yourself, the next time you do a Monday class after as you leave the gym, say, yep. Jamie, I always feel better when I leave. Then you can listen to that, and then you don't have to bother your wife. Yep. That would be one thing. Yep. And then people at home start to think about the days that are harder for them setting up systems. So sleep in your exercise clothes or create your gym bag so it's ready to go in the morning or yeah. get a fitness buddy. Like so much of this is once you are aware of your mind and then you can outsmart it, right? Like as soon as you know those cognitive distortions that we use to trick ourselves, then you can say, nope, this is just negative brain propaganda or this is just a thought. And just because I have a thought doesn't mean I have to act on a thought. Uh, but what we're really talking about here is just teaching the brain new tricks, right? Like like just yeah, new exactly. and better. New and yeah. better tricks, well, right? New tricks, but I always call it using your mind for good, not evil. Like once right. you okay. know how your brain and your mind connect and how much of our choices every day are built on that unconscious and how we can be a healthier version of ourselves when we bring things to the conscious. Like as soon as you're aware of something, you put a spotlight on it, then you can actually do something about it. So first you have to become aware of your habits, right? Like if you always have a treat at three o'clock in the afternoon, maybe you say, okay, three o'clock, I call a friend and I go for a walk. Fantastic. Great advice. Unfortunately, all the time we have no! today. Yes. I love this topic. Honestly, I, I could talk for like hours. But you're going to come back next month and Absolutely. talk some more. Fantastic. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their liquid greens chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. Vital Directives is a center committed to helping people ignite their innate healing power and remove the barriers of fear that keep them in pain. Through changing their client's mindset and teaching them to connect with their body, the Vital Directives step-by-step process helps them focus, feel safe, and get immediate relief. Their process involves removing the physical limitations induced by chronic pain while creating personalized, high-level self-care and preventative measures. They believe that significantly reducing chronic pain is just the first step. Through powerful physical exercises and mindset shifts, coupled with solid support system, they inspire people to transform from the inside out. 
For more information, visit their website at vitaldirectives.com. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. Toronto-based yoga instructor Rishma Malik has been living, breathing, and teaching yoga for over 10 years. Her classes are uplifting, engaging, and energizing, yet grounded in the calm, soothing power of release and mindfulness. She infuses her classes with serenity, joy, and empowerment, and brings a wealth of her ongoing experience as a student of life, together with her desire as a teacher to help people nurture self-connection, balance, strength, and abundance in their lives. She's a senior-level yoga instructor, registered with the Yoga Alliance. She's trained in the Himalayan yoga tradition and received her formal 1,000-hour yoga master certification at the Sananda Devi Yoga in 2004. She's also a registered kids yoga teacher with the Yoga Alliance and holds 200-hour certification in kids yoga. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you so much. I just realized when you said the uh, the year that I got certified, it is 15 years that I've been now teaching and my website needs an update. <laughs> but yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, and talk all things yoga for all ages. Uh, but yes, my main specialty has, has been the niche of kids. So yeah, ready to dive in. Excellent. What would you like to know? Well, is yoga really for all ages? In your opinion? You know what? It really is. It really is because you're starting to see like these various niches show up and there's a reason for that because, and that reason actually goes back in, in time and goes back to the origin of yoga, which is amazing to me. Um, Ashtanga, which is a very popular style of yoga, yep. um, and it's a very physically fit yoga, was actually created for teenage boys. That was actually, so yoga became modified for that sector. And so, you know, who would have known, but that is the reason why Ashtanga kind of moves through these poses really quickly because to keep the attention of teenage boys. doesn't mean that we don't practice that now all ages, all types of people in main yoga studios all over the world, but interesting origins. Also, yoga does or originate in India, and so I'm going back to that starting place that there is a lot of uh, yoga that is not required of the mat, and it is in the chair, and it is uh, very much hands, mouth, breath, head, neck, shoulders and you'll find like an 85 year old teacher teaching all ages so it actually even started as old age all ages and yeah. now it's it's continued that way in the west just to yeah. extrapolate on that point when you were referring to the chair you're, you're literally talking about for those who don't know it's it, it's chair yoga where instead of being on the mat you're sitting in a yeah. chair so for those who don't have the mobility to get down on the mat they can still practice yoga Oh, 100%. And so, you know, you can actually accommodate all sorts of poses. We can we can actually do forward folds. We can do half butterfly where you bring one leg up and open up that knee and get some nice stretch into the hip. You know, you can even do lunges, like as long as the chair is sturdy and um, you're being guided by a teacher, you can put one foot up on a chair or a stool if your leg doesn't go up that high and lean into it, right? Just like I've seen my, my mom do lunges and she's in her 80s, you know, at the kitchen encounter where she'll put her foot back and, and, and sink into it. We can do those kinds of things with a chair and do twists and all sorts of things. Yes. Chair yoga. Okay. So we're talking one direction now. Let, let's, let's start off with kids because you mentioned sure. Ashtanga being for teenage boys. What can kids get from yoga? 
What can kids get from yoga? My gosh, what can they not get from yoga? Well, we're, we're, we're only an hour long show, Rishma. So <laughs> I see, I see, but I see because I mean, my own, my own experience as a child, like I, I really felt like a, a very mature sort of minded and souled person as a young kid and, and uh, with a lot of like absorbing of other people's stress and family dynamics and being uh, one culture in a, in a uh, Western culture and, you know, experience all that. I mean, ultimately, kids, can get such a sense of self from it. They can get a sense of who they are and uh, all that outside noise. And kids do absorb outside noise, you know, whether it's, you know, the chatter in the schoolyard or the parents fighting or their school grades or whatever it is. Um, And so it really does have children move into their into their heart and connect the heart with the mind and steadiness so motor coordination i've seen four-year-olds that i've taught five-year-olds where after one year they are doing things that other kids just can't do you know um in terms of how they how they present themselves how they are socially peace of mind regulation self-regulation that's been the main one that i see i have parents I have students who their parents are doctors. They happen to be, I've got a couple of students who their parents are doctors and, you know, they're concerned because their kids have anxiety, high anxiety, or are not able to sleep as, as a repercussion of that anxiety, etc. And they have it during the day in school. And they've told me that their children are using the uh, methods that I'm bringing into class, that I'm just sort of sewing into class in these really bite-sized moments. Um, so I'm not sitting there going, okay, kids, open your chapter, you know, on how to breathe into, you know, your confidence and breathe into stability in the oak tree. It's just a bite size that I'll share and they'll get it and we'll do it. And the next thing you know, I'm hearing about kids taking this stuff home and I do prescribe homework. So um, they also get a sense of community, non-competitive sport. They get incredible social skills and, and how to be still. And that's a real antidote for today's tech crazy, tech neck and tech uh, overload world. So I think intuitively kids know when they sit down with me and we get into that ceremonial sort of state of, you know, breathing in, breathing out, I start the class just like an adult class. They know that this is this is something very interesting. It's a bit ceremonial, but then I switch it up and we move on to a little bit of fun and we relax into some fun postures. So so what sort postures, of yeah. what sort of things might uh, you do in a kids class? So depending on the age, so I usually would say like a younger group would be maybe, let's just say, five to eight-year-olds. Oh, that young. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My kids here at... at I'm teaching at a camp right now, and they're just, like, asking for classes with me. But then you've got, let's say, the 9- to 12-year-old sect. And, you know, in both cases, I would always add the fun in, in the in the poses. So when you're in a downward dog, why not? Why not make dog sounds? Why not howl at the moon when we come up into our wolf pose? Why not, you know, make ribbits when we're in frog pose? You know, it distracts. Well, it doesn't just distract, but it makes it comedic. It makes it fun. You're in the physical posture of it. Right. And the thing is, is that, you know, ultimately we don't just do that the whole time. You know, once you, you sort of stop and you taper down, then you go into the breath. And I've had great 
great still moments on on uh, yoga, you know, yoga studios where I'm I'm teaching. I'm like, wow, they're all really in right now, and it's not about the sounds, and it's not about uh, that. And I also do partner yoga poses, so we sometimes create poses. Um, I'm always watchful to make sure that uh, you know they're doing things properly and not bringing gymnastics into the yoga. Some people do like to try to do that, right. um, and you know, it's just really like sun salutations can be modified. There are specific sun salutations in the yoga anthology uh, over the years that we've seen at all the studios. If you go to a studio in Australia and then you go to a studio in Canada, you're, you're likely to experience the same sun salutation as an adult at an yo- adult yoga studio. But as a kid's yoga teacher, I have you know owned the fact that I can take those same postures, but I can also modify them and bring in you know things that kids like to do. So a little wiggle or a little you know a little a little movement that's a little sure. bit more sassy. <laughs> and you know you've got a 12 year old doing something like that in between they just love it you got to have fun for sure uh, so mm. that's the positives for uh, yoga for kids are there any sort of limitations uh, mm-hmm. in yoga for, for kids for sure sometimes you have because then then it comes the third section of my typical class which is perhaps something a little bit more uh, relaxing and coming into a meditation and you know even here at this camp we're looking out at the lake we're doing something called lake gaze meditation which I've created and some kids will just laugh through it right and and so I really have to hone them in and try to teach the other children to try to try to let the noise of the other kids and the fun of this, you know, that some kids are experiencing right now, just let that become background and just keep focused on the gaze and your breath. You know, so it becomes challenging when some kids just don't want to participate, you know, and, and they do find it like, ooh, this is a little weird, you know, because yeah. becoming quiet can be hard for even adults. Yep. Um, they're <laughs> caught right. up in their own monkey mind, right? So, but I would also say sometimes you'll have a child who has, let's say, you know, just maybe is a little, maybe just going, going a little bit too far um, with distracting the crowd, and so maybe I'll talk to their parents or I'll work with them separately, and I've found great value in just learning how to work with that, and, and that doesn't really get in the way anymore because people can still, you know, it's life, and I teach that this is life, right? It's going to happen. So I would say that there's no real limitations except if someone's injured. Please, you know, take care of, of, your, of yourself. Make sure you tell your yoga teacher ahead of a class that you've got an injury. That's for any age. And then they'll work with you. They'll keep their eye on you, you know, and then I'll, I'll literally ask a child to sit something out and they, they want to, but at least they're still in the class and they're absorbing the good vibes. Okay. So let's, let's take a full circle. Let's talk about classes, let's say for, for seniors or people with mobility issues. Are there any limitations that you can think of that might apply to, to somebody who's older? There are definitely contraindications to almost every health concern um, that uh, the senior population uh, generally find themselves in, one or the other. Um, And so because of those contraindications, you definitely want to make sure that the teacher that you're going to has had some senior yoga teacher experience. They've trained in seniors yoga. They've, They've read the manual. They've experienced it. Or they come from a background where they've worked with seniors before. People with a 
heart issues. Uh, it's not to not do yoga, but definitely we would do the chair style and we would keep it more to the meditation and the breathing. Pranayama, which means um, a breathing meditation translated, is yoga, right? It's just not using huge postures. So it would be light, gentle movements, but they would still be getting to do the yoga. We would not want to do forward fold so that their head is lower than their heart, you know? Um, uh, there's people with uh, issues with their breath, um, so you just want to do three-count breath instead of doing, you know, huge kundalini breath of fire type things. So, yeah, they, they need to be looked after, but it's so good for them. I'll just last, last point on why it's good for seniors. Loosens up the joints, keeps bones strong, gives them a positive outlook on life. You know, it just helps. Even the littlest thing, you know, for a senior is like goes a long way, whereas you and I, Jamie, need an hour class to like get out of our heads. Yep. A senior citizen, they're wise. They have lived their life so well already. They've got so much going on and they're able to, within 10 minutes of doing a little yoga online or with their family member, they're able to get into that joy and that spark and that sense of timelessness that yoga really promises. Fantastic. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's all the time we have today. Thank you so much for oh, being here. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. The Benvenuto Group is an owner and developer of quality high-rise condominium and rental properties in Toronto and Montreal. The Benvenuto team is passionate about delivering quality living spaces, top lifestyle amenities, important services, and innovative design tailored specifically to its residents in every particular submarket. The Benvenuto Group seeks out the finest urban neighborhoods and designs projects to allow its residents to enjoy the benefits of both their property and the exceptional locations that they become a part of. The team surrounds itself with leading professionals and consultants and pushes them to conceive great places to live, to work, and to play. The Benvenuto Group is currently designing several new projects in Toronto, Montreal, and Chicago that will not only become exceptional places to live as an owner or as a renter, but that will deliver some of the highest levels of sustainability, energy efficiency, and comfort, and will set the standard for informed residents. For more information, please visit thebenvenuto.com. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. My next guest, Ting Ting Jing, is a graduate of USC, where she earned her Master's of Social Work. She went on to earn her LCSW and was a practicing therapist and social worker in Southern California when she created Therabox. She understood that the key to happiness and a fulfilling life is to have consistent, positive practices in daily life, otherwise known as self-care. 
and she wanted to make it easy and accessible for everyone. Welcome to The Tonic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. So we talk a lot about mindfulness on the show, but this is a little bit different. This is uh, sort of an extension of it, and, and, and it's sort of a more of a physical manifestation. So why do you think it's important, and, and what is the impact of having a daily practice towards happiness? Yeah, so I like to think of daily practices as uh, just like you would work out for your muscles and you would go exercise to, uh, you know, be more healthy physically, the mind kind of works the same way. So the mind is a muscle and we need to work it out in order to have it kind of in tip top shape. And that's where these daily practices come from. It's kind of nourishing the mind, feeding the soul and daily practices, whether it's gratitude or like affirmations or mindfulness, all of that is feeding the brain, uh, feeding the muscles. Maybe you can give examples to people who are listening as to what that might look like. So what would that manifest itself in like? What, what sort of results and impacts would we see on a day, if you had a daily practice? Right. So for example, a daily practice like a gratitude practice, something as simple as recalling three to five things that you're grateful for every single day consistently for 21 to 30 days, you would see a dramatic impact um, actually neurologically as well. You begin to look at things in a more positive light. Uh, you will find that it's much easier to appreciate the little things in life um, and just kind of almost unconsciously you would start finding little things to be grateful for even without trying so you know for the first 21 to 30 days you might be actively asking your brain to think of something that you're grateful for and after that period of time you'll notice you're just driving through and you're just finding little tiny things that you're kind of grateful for and that just manifests into a more positive life Okay. And, and how does that work? Like when you talk about the, the neurological differences, can you explain a bit about the, the mechanics of that? So in neuroscience, there's something called neuroplasticity. And what that means is just the brain uh, is able to create new neural pathways. And the way that it creates these new neural pathways is through consistent practice. So if you're constantly thinking of negative things, or if you're constantly complaining about something, then there's like a a short circuit to that negative pathway. So it becomes really easy and it becomes even more and more easier uh, as the days go on. The more you think negative things, the more quickly you can begin to think about these negative things. Um, But on the contrary, there's kind of the other end of it, right? The more you think about the positive things, the more quickly that neural pathway becomes stronger and then you will be able to think about more positive things very, very quickly. You know, I was a lawyer for 20 years and I was trained to think skeptically. So I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I tend towards being one of those glass half empty type people because that's, you know, that's, it's almost like a worldview, isn't it? The way you perceive what's around you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's pretty amazing because neuroplasticity says within 21 to 30 days, you can create these new pathways. You can strengthen these new pathways. And the more you do it, the stronger it becomes. And, you know, it's just you know, really you know, quite you miraculous. Don't, you don't think there's hard cases like me who for 20 years, was, was, you know, was, was the glass was so empty that it was barely any water <laughs> in there at all. And then in 21 days, it's going to I'm going to flip a switch. Do you think so? <laughs> Well, I don't think you just flip a switch. I think the 21 days, it kind of just, it's a gradual, you know, it's just, just like you didn't become a skeptic in, in 21 days, right? It was well, like 20 true. years, but it's same thing. It's, it's a gradual kind of lessening and 
the more you go towards that way, the more your brain will automatically kind of go towards that direction. And then, you know, 20 years later, you won't even know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I'm around 20 years from now, that'll be a good thing in and of itself. So, so let's talk more about the daily practice because that's really what you're espousing. So gratitude was one example. What else could one do on a day-to-day basis that would make a difference? Affirmations. So affirmations such as just kind of paying compliments to yourself, whether it's saying, you know, I'm worthy or even just I forgive myself for certain things. So having a set of daily affirmations is really, really critical. It's kind of just like shifting your worldview again from something, you know, typically negative uh, to something more positive because we're so easy to just, you know, have negative self-talk. So is this literally like a dialogue or a monologue that you have with yourself, sort of propping yourself up and and telling yourself that, you know, you're a good person, you're worthy, that sort of thing? Yeah. I mean, if that's not your thing, you can also write it down. So it could be either a journaling practice or you can just look in the mirror and say it every single morning. What do you do? Do you have a journal or do you do, do you use the mirror? So I use the mirror because I actually created something. It was one of the things from a box, but it was a daily affirmation. Right. And it, it was like a wall decal. So I pasted it on my bathroom mirror right. so that as I'm brushing my teeth, I can say that every day. <laughs> you're brushing your teeth and you're doing that. You're multitasking. Right. I'm multitasking. I waste no time. <laughs> so, uh, you know, forgive me, but when I think of saying affirmations into the mirror, there was an old Saturday Night Live skit uh, with Al Franken, now Senator, former Senator Al Franken, where he had a character named Stuart Smalley who would look into the mirror and say, you're good enough. And gosh, darn it, I love you. You know, like, and, and it was it was a shtick. Right. But you're mm-hmm. you're literally talking about that. So for me, my generation thinking about talking into a mirror is a hard one. So you're saying journaling might be an approach if you're not comfortable sort of talking to yourself in the mirror. Exactly. Yeah. Journaling, just having a, a lot of times it's like a gratitude plus affirmation journal. Okay. Uh, That's a really good one where you can write about the things you're grateful for and also kind of write your affirmations for the day. Now, are your affirmations the same every day or do, or do you change them up? I sometimes change them up. It kind of depends. You know, if I am trying to prep for something really big, then I might talk about affirmations pertaining to that specific event. Uh, If, you know, it's just like a daily thing. Uh, The one that I paste on my mirror, it is, it's like a fill in the blank. Uh, Like today I am dot, dot, dot. And then I kind of fill in the blank um, as I go. But there's just so many ways to do it. It's just whatever you're comfortable with. So could it be anything or or do you, or would you recommend certain types of affirmations as being more meaningful or result-oriented? I think because everybody is different, the type of affirmations should just be authentic to them, right? So for some people, people might say, I am worthy is not the type of affirmation that would work for them. Maybe they need something more concrete. Maybe they need something more detailed. I think it's just whatever you feel most comfortable in saying. Okay. So we've covered affirmations and gratitude. Is there any other practice that you would recommend on a daily basis? Definitely mindfulness practices. Is that something you do? So a daily meditation. Yep. That is huge. And that just, it's phenomenal. Just what a 10 minute 
meditation can do, uh, whether it's in the morning or before you go to bed. And there's just so many different types. There's even like in-shower meditations. You can meditate anywhere, anytime. Um, but just having that 10 minutes of mindfulness is really crucial as a daily practice. Okay. So we have time for one last question. And that is all these practices, how long have you been doing them for? And, 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 and when did you start seeing results? And when could people expect to get results if they start? I started doing them in 2014, so Mm -hmm. five, five, six years, yeah. And it's just, I started with mindfulness practices first, and it's just, it changed my life. I did like an eight-week mindfulness course, and that's, it completely changed my life and started all these other practices for me. And how quickly would people expect to perceive differences if they started a practice? If you were to do it every single day, I would say 21 to... 21 days to 30 days, you already start seeing differences. Fantastic. That sounds like it's worthwhile and it wouldn't take much time or effort to to pull through. So I appreciate your advice. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us on Facebook at The Tonic Talk Show or at Jamie Busson on Instagram. For great articles about health and wellness, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic's available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or coming on the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the truths and myths of herbal remedies, male sexual dysfunction, what to expect when you're expecting surgery, and food safety in restaurants. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.